The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, and please be seated. Any uh, fans of The Hobbit here? Okay, so you'll know um, that one of the most pivotal scenes in The Hobbit, the novel, is when we find Bilbo Baggins in the middle of an adventure that he never asked for. He's actually uh, followed Gandalf the, uh, the Grey at that point, as well as a group of dwarves, to rescue the Lonely Mountain from the great fearsome dragon Smog, And um, he finds himself actually separated from the whole traveling company when they are in uh, basically the pit of the Misty Mountains, he's in a, a cave without any kind of light in, inside of a tunnel. He's about to meet Gollum and uh, engage in a battle of wits with him, about to take possession of the ring, and, um, uh, but he's all alone. And he has no idea what he's going to do. And he goes through the options of, how do I get myself through this situation? Do I go backwards? Do I go sideways? Or do I go forward? And Tolkien captures his inner monologue. Go back, he thought. No good at all. Go sideways? Impossible. Go forward? Only thing to do. On we go. So up he got and trotted along with his little sword held in front of him and one hand feeling the wall and his heart all of a patter and a pitter. He can't go back. That actually won't lead to safety, trying to get his way back to the Shire. He can't go sideways. That's a dead end. The only way out is the way through. Forward into more danger and into victory. Even though his heart was all of a patter and a pitter, it was go forward, the only thing to do, on we go. And in the process, he becomes a braver hobbit who makes his leader Gandalf proud. Now here's a picture of what walking by faith can look like. 
our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, calls us to follow him, to trust him, to venture on him, and thereby experience his love and his power. But he brings us into scary and difficult situations that we cannot control. He's going to push us beyond our limits. And our heart's going to go all of a pitter and a patter. And we can't go back to the safety of our hobbit holes for comfort. It's not the way to safety, and it wouldn't be the same even if we went back. We can't go sideways. That's totally a dead end. We cannot pretend we're not in this situation. We have to go forward. The way out is the way through. It's the only way to go. And in the process, what do we do? We experience the power of God in the midst of circumstances that are way beyond our power. And we experience the power of God, which is beyond the power, any kind of power in this world. We experience it firsthand, and then we learn, wow, we can trust God. He can provide for us. He can help us. He's with us in danger. He's with us in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, what we're going to do this summer is we're going to spend the whole summer looking at what does it mean to walk by faith? What does it mean to go forward into the dark, into danger, with hearts all of a pitter and a patter? Um, as a church, this has a direct application for us because we're searching for a permanent church building. We're searching for our next spiritual beacon home, and we don't know where this is going to lead. But walking by faith impacts every single aspect of our life, especially the ones that we care about, our relationships, our work, our calling, our finances, and every major life decision. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in today. Walking by faith will directly impact the next decision that you make. It will impact your whole life, and it will impact our whole church. Now, my hope is that this summer, that if you are a Christian, your confidence in God will grow this summer. I want your confidence and our confidence in God to grow exponentially this summer. If you're here and you're considering Christianity, you're not yet a Christian. I hope that you will see the beauty and the adventure of what it looks like to follow Jesus. The first three sermons in our summer series are going to be from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at uh, fasting this morning. We're going to look at anxiety-free living next week with Deacon um, Margie Fawcett. And then, um, and then I'll be preaching on prayer. What does it look like to um, walk the life of faith in prayer? Okay, now after those three sermons in June, we're going to move to Hebrews, and we're going to look at the what's sometimes called the Hall of Faith. It's a play on the words of the Hall of Fame, but it's for people. It's like a group of mini biographies in Hebrews chapter 11 of people who followed God in faith in dramatic and miraculous ways. These stories have been uh, hallmarks and inspirations to Christians in every generation, and we're going to look at those in July and August. Now, today we're going to look at fasting, so turn to Matthew chapter 4. Yeah, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We're going to consider the example of Jesus as he fasted. Now, here's what Jesus shows us. Jesus will show us that fasting is powerful because it places us under the mighty hand of God. Fasting does not force the hand of God at all. Sometimes maybe people think you can force God's hand to do something if you fast. That's not how it works. Fasting places us and our situations, everything we care about, under the mighty hand of God. And there's no power in this world like the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God breaks stones. The mighty hand of God opens doors that no one can shut and shuts doors that no one can open. 
Okay, the mighty hand of God heals the sick. The mighty hand of God raises the dead. The mighty hand of God does things that we think are absolutely impossible. He will take uh, tyrants and he will humble them. He will bring them to their knees. The mighty hand of God will fill the hungry with good things. The most humble person on this earth, he'll fill them with good things and he'll raise them up and he'll exalt them. He'll do things like he did with Joseph when he'll take someone who was a despised youngest brother and a prisoner and someone who is absolutely, um, you know, exiled. And he'll raise him all the way up to one of the highest um, thrones in the whole world. The mighty hand of God can do anything and is powerful. And when we fast, we're placing the things that we care about most deeply, the things that we can't control. And we will place them under the mighty hand of God and completely humble ourselves under him completely humble ourselves under his providence, completely humble our situations under what he most wants to do and say, God, in your providence, please take this situation, take my life and, um, and fulfill it and complete it and do what only you can do, Lord. And so um, the hand of God is mighty and good. And if you want to place yourself under it, one of the most practical things we can do is to not eat food. Did you know that? That's really all fasting is. Don't eat. You know, so if you want to know how to fast, that's essentially it. Skip a meal or, or go without comforts, things that you really have to have and try it and trust God with it. Um, here's what we see Jesus doing. Um, Jesus will submit himself to his father as he fasts. And we can see this playing out in how he responded to the tempter. And when we're, when we're um, coming under God's mighty hand, we're submitting our wills to him, our appetites to him, our calling to him, and all the outcomes of this world to the Lord. And there's so much power when we do that. There's so much power in the weakness of the way of Jesus. There's so much power in submission, my friends. I hope that you know this and can experience this firsthand because our world doesn't know about this power. Our, our world and our culture doesn't operate in this kind of power. It's not power through weakness. It's power through power. It's power um, through going fast. It's power through making things happen for yourself, which is exactly what Satan will tempt Jesus to do. Power for Jesus begins with weakness, as we see in the first two verses of our text, Matthew 4. Um, Verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay, now notice the dynamic here, my friends. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into a spiritual battle. He's going to be tempted by the devil. And this is going to test his mettle. So after this battle in the wilderness, after this period of fasting and after passing these temptations, Jesus will have a new level of power in his ministry. We'll see him teaching with great authority, unlike anyone has ever heard. We'll see him healing disease. We'll see him um, raising the dead with Lazarus. We'll see him atoning for the sins of the whole world. No one's ever done this before. It was his calling. Yet all of that power would come through the mighty hand of God. It would come through the same Holy Spirit that led him into weakness. For now, the mighty hand of God is going to lead him to be hungry. And he's going to lead him into a spiritual battle at its most elemental level, the battle for the human appetite. 
Jesus placed his appetite under the mighty hand of God. And my friends, is there anything more difficult for you and me than to place our appetites under God's mighty hand? Jesus trusted his father to satisfy his deepest hunger. And he trusted his father with his physical hunger. Verse three, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, the tempter is an expert at custom-made suggestions. He really is so customizable. It's a personalized suggestion. Um, don't trust God with your need. Take things into your own hands. His word can't be trusted. His ways can't be followed. In Jesus' case, you know what? You must be famished, dude. 40 days? I mean, come on. I've got an idea, actually. You see all these stones in the wilderness? It's pretty stony ground. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. I mean, it's kind of an interesting and creative idea, right? Pleasant. Just take a couple of these stones and turn them into bread. I mean, imagine doing this with like your roommate's piece of like ugly chair that you don't like. Turn that into takeout. You know, turn just, just like come up with something where you just use a little bit of your power and, and, and satisfy your appetite. You're hungry, right? Take and eat. You'll feel better right away. Our appetites always want just a little bit more. Just one more, really? Okay. Just one more snack? Just one more drink? Fill her up? Yeah, that's good. Just one more level? Just one more level. As soon as I beat this level. Just one more look. Just a second look. Just one more click, then, I, then I'll stop, I swear. Just one more episode tonight. Just one more episode. Just one more purchase, right? It's on sale. Just one more leads to just one more. And after a while, it adds up to a lot. And then we end up using people in the process. We end up taking things that belong to something else and we use it for our own appetite for just one more hit. The mighty hand of God, my friends, will satisfy us if only we would trust him with our appetites. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. You do need some bread to live. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread. But that's not all we need to live, to really live as human beings. We are not just physical creatures. We need bread that comes from the hand of the mighty hand of God to feed us and to satisfy us at its deepest level. Here's a life-changing truth from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. um, That God can actually feed his people. The children of Israel experienced this as the mighty hand of God delivered to them manna. And he wasn't just delivering them manna to feed uh, their bodies. He was actually showing them, I will feed you with the finest of wheat if only you would trust me. They were learning to trust and receive from the hand of God. If they would have learned that sooner, they would have stepped into the promised land sooner. They wouldn't have had all of the pain and all of the death, literally, that they experienced in the wilderness. If only they would have been fed not only by God's manna, but by God's word that was coming through the Ten Commandments and coming through the writings of Moses. 
Jesus says to the tempter, my physical appetite is not in charge. Simple, but hard to put into practice, my friends. My physical appetite is not in charge. I'm submitting it to God. He's nourishing me with his word, and I will eat on his terms, not yours and not even mine. I'm not even going to eat on my terms, and I'm certainly not going to eat on the terms of the devil, which invites me to twist creation to make it work for me, to make myself a customizable experience that's really great. I'm not going to do that. Mastering our appetites, my friends, is one of the first tests in the life of faith. It's one of the first tests in our maturing in Jesus Christ. That's why fasting is a good practice for all of us to try. Now, some of us um, are not in a place where we can do that. You know, we're, ex- you know, we're uh, uh, expecting a child, okay? And so fasting would not be good. Or, or maybe we've got issues with disordered eating and it would just would tap into that. And there are ways to scale this. But the point is, that our appetites belong to God, and there's no better way to learn that lesson than to fast from food and physical comforts. We all have appetites, my friends. It's not just for food. It's for connection with others, you know, intimacy, delight, joy, agency, comfort. It feels really good to have those things satisfied. And to a certain extent, you know, we have legitimate needs of, of all of these things. Yet if we live to satisfy them and we don't tame them under the mighty hand of God, these appetites will dominate our lives and they will consume the people around us. Our senses might be placated on the surface, but our souls will be empty. That's what happens when all you live for is an appetite for just one more. You get just one more and you feel a little bit satisfied and a little bit numb and a little bit happy, but it's never enough. It's never enough, and that's why we always say, just one more. God has given us a deeper hunger that cannot be met unless we trust him with our physical and emotional hunger. And this begins with fasting. So here's what we do when we fast. We say, Lord, satisfy me in these hours when I feel hunger pain. We're not going to feel satisfied the satisfaction is going to go on a deeper level. Sustain me physically, but even more so nourish me spiritually. We might take a verse from scripture. We might meditate on it. We might chew on it. We might think about the mighty hand of God. Jesus did this. He was obviously soaking in the book of Deuteronomy. What came out when Satan tempted him? Scripture. Jesus did not only submit his physical appetite under the mighty hand of God, he placed his status under the mighty hand of God. Read with me in verses five and following. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Have you ever known someone who can just twist scripture, just use spiritualized language to manipulate people? The tempter is an expert at doing this. And he is an expert at suggesting just the right thing for Jesus to prove his status. Jesus, you're 30 years old. What have you done with your life? 
Getting baptized? What's that? Is that really the voice of the Father that you heard? You've been a day laborer your whole life? Come on, man. No one thinks you're the Son of God. You got plenty of doubters. You got plenty of haters. But I know something. You want to show them what's up? Go to the, te- the pinnacle of the temple and take God at his word. Thrust yourself down. Everyone will scream. Everyone will shriek. Everyone will pay attention to you. And then they'll see the heavenly angels swoop in. Unless God's not going to fulfill his promise. Unless you're not the son of God. Well, then maybe he won't do it. Maybe you should test him. Because maybe he's not going to plan to do it. So maybe you should just show everyone who you are. And then guess what? Doubters come along in your ministry as they will, Jesus, as they will. Trust me, you've got your ace in the hole. Hey, did you see what happened when I threw myself down from the temple? Angels came in and swooped. Psalm 91, I'm the beloved one. I'm the chosen one. I'm the Messiah. Bam. Doubt that. Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter. Verse seven, Jesus again said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Can you hear the humility in Jesus? Can you hear the submission in Jesus? Can you hear the absolute refusal to rebel against the hand of God? Jesus submits himself to God in this temptation. And when God is ready, he says, when God is ready to fulfill his promises, God will do so. When God is ready to act on Jesus's behalf, God will do so. When God is ready to vindicate Jesus as the son of God, God will do so. In the meantime, Jesus places his status under the mighty hand of God, the father. We are so tempted to secure our status in this life in our own way, completely circumventing, taking runarounds around the mighty hand of God through spectacular achievement, through social media personas, by associating with higher status people, by getting defensive when we're challenged. God knows that we need some status in order to get things done in this life. He knows that we need to be seen, that we need to be recognized, that we do need doors to open, that there does need to be some measure of validation. My friends, here's what happens when we fast. We submit our status and our identity under the mighty hand of God. We humble ourselves under his plan and under his way, and we ask him to lift us up in due season, my friend. Sometimes when we fast, we're going to be learning not just to fast from eating food, we're going to be fasting from words. We're going to be fasting from all of those words that we use to, that we talk, all the talk that we talk, the big game that we talk to secure our status and advance ourselves in this world. Let us fast from displays of glory. Let us fast from preening. Let us fast from the incessant words that we use to control our life and make ourselves big enough in the eyes of others. Let us not put the Lord, our God, to the test. Jesus submits his appetite and his identity under the mighty hand of God. But more than that, he places his calling under the mighty hand of God. In fact, he places the whole world under the mighty hand of God. 
verses 8 and following, the devil takes him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. What was Jesus's call, my friends? You know, if he were to obey God's call in his life and fulfill it and and know the well done, like he has finished what he came to accomplish. If he did that, he would be the ruler of all the worlds. He would be the Lord of the nations. He would be the king of kings. He would be exalted to heaven at the father's right hand. A day would come when every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's his call. But you know what? There's no shortcuts to that call. Get to that call, you go through the cross. You go through humility. You engage with people who will doubt you. Um, You get flogged. You get unjustly tried. You get put up on a cross. You go through um, being dead. You get raised up to life. You don't show up to all of your enemies and taunt them. You actually show up to all the discouraged people first. And then you're ascended to the Father's right hand after a period of time when he's ready to lift you up and exalt you. There's no shortcut to judgment day. There's no shortcut to Jesus fulfilling his call. But Satan, boy, does he have a customized, personalized shortcut around the cross. If you want to fulfill your call now, just come with me up on this mountain. Let's pretend it's Ascension Day already, Jesus. And all of the nations will worship you and everyone will bow down before you. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Just a little satanic worship, just a little bowing of the knee to my way, just a little run around under the mighty hand of God. And you can avoid the cross. And Jesus says to the devil, Be gone, Satan. Sometimes we just have to tell the devil to go to hell. Be gone. Go back to where you came from. And take your customized, personalized runaround from the hand of God with you. Because I am not following you down this road. And I am not going to uh, undermine the plan of God and the ways of God and the love of God and the goodness of God. I'm submitted to it. I am trusting it. I'm going to continue to follow. I'm not going back and I'm not going sideways. The way out is the way through. And the way through is where the good shepherd is leading me. He's leading me through the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm not afraid of you. And I'm not afraid of death. Because the one who went through this temptation also went through the cross. And by going through the cross, my friends, by not avoiding the shortcut, he won for us a way through any temptation and any trial. He uh, broke all shortcuts by giving us the way of submission, the way of the cross, the way of death and resurrection. That is our way, my friends. That is our way. Because he is our Lord and he is our good shepherd. Be gone, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Fasting is an elemental way to return to this this word from Deuteronomy, 
I, I will only worship the Lord my God and him only shall I serve. And I'll serve him even though I have a, a headache right now. And I'll serve him even though my blood sugar is low right now. And I'll serve him even though um, I'm distracted right now and I'm grumpy right now and I'm moving slower. I'm getting fewer things done because, um, boy, I'm not as well fed right now or I'm not as caffeinated right now or I'm going without comfort right now. It doesn't necessarily feel good to fast, but it is so very good to bring ourselves under the mighty hand of God, starting with the very basic level of our appetites. I want to tell you a little story about the mighty hand of God. And as we fast together as a church, we're actually going to begin to fast this Tuesday. This Tuesday, we're all going to fast together. You're welcome to fast. One meal, a few meals, a couple meals. And then we're going to gather and pray at 545 at the ministry center on Tuesday night. And we're going to ask God to show us his mighty hand. We, we are asking God to, to provide a permanent spiritual beacon home for us. We're asking God to, we're submitting everything in our life, everything that we can't control under his mighty hand. What do you need to surrender to the mighty hand of God that you can't control, that you need him to, to move in? Is it for one of your kids? Is it for one of your parents? Is it a medical situation? Is it a financial situation? Some of us are hitting roadblocks. Some of us are, are suffering. Some of us um, actually need God to move in a very specific way and we'll never force his hand, never force his hand, but we will always submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God. What a better thing to do than to do that together. My friends, I would love to do this together with you so that you and I can see that it is not just God who provides the manna. It's not just him who provides the the needs for um, our daily bread, but also he provides everything else. He provides his presence He provides his love. He provides his power. And that's what we most need. And that's what we most love. Tell you a story about Providence United Methodist Church in Swan Quarter, North Carolina. Um, In uh, in the year 1876, um, there was a church plant uh, that, that eventually became Providence United Methodist Church. And they were looking for a property upon which they could build their church. In, in Swan Quarter. And they found the highest, most central plot of land in this whole town. And they thought this would be a wonderful place to build a church. And, um, and so they approached the owner of this land and they said, we would love to build our church here. God's moving in our church. He's growing us. And, and, and this, is, this, this plot of land we think could be a wonderful place to, to, to build a church for the coming generations. Do you know what this, the owner of this land said? He said, no way. I'm not selling this land to you. And so the door closed. So they began to look for more land. And they, they looked around and they found another plot of land in, uh, in this small town. And they actually built this, this church. They put it on brick piers. And this was the, in the late 1800s, this is the way that churches were built in some instances. Um, and, um, and they were getting ready to, to dedicate this church. They had built it. They put it on brick piers um, uh, right before, on the night before the dedication. I want to tell you about what happened. Um, There was a storm that came. And the storm actually flooded this whole town. And it was a hurricane-like storm, as this is closer to the Atlantic Ocean. And what happened was this church, and there's eyewitness testimony that uh, 
that, that verifies this. The church was dislodged from the brick piers, my friends. It was dislodged and it began to travel down the road, the whole church. And it moved this way and that. It took right turns and left turns. And do you know where it landed? It landed on the exact spot of the man who would not sell his land. And do you know what happened after the church landed on that plot of land on the, on the eve of its dedication? The owner of the land was like, you know what? This was by the providence of God. You get this land. And that's why the church is named Providence United Methodist Church. Stands to this day. They, they've added to it and done a, a bunch of renovations to it, of course. But that's not all the mighty hand of God can do. Think about the situations that feel impossible for you. Think about the situations that feel impossible for our church. Begin to pray. Begin to fast. People throughout all generations of church history have seen breakthroughs to their answers to prayer when they have fasted and they have prayed. And it's not because they're forcing God's hand. It's not because it's not a hunger strike where they're like getting the prison warden's attention. That's more about power than about love. Fasting is about love. Our God is about love. And when we come under the mighty hand of God, we are saying, God, I know you love me and I know you love my family and I know you love my kids and my parents and my siblings. I know you love this church. I know you love the kingdom of God and I'm coming under your mighty hand saying, show us your love. Show us your power. Show us your glory, O Lord. And he does. You know, the mighty hand of God doesn't just do big things. He does small and tender things. You know, I think it's so interesting that Jesus, you know, was tempted or that the suggestion was given to him. Just throw yourself off of the temple. Do this spectacular thing and, and angels will come. You can force the angels to come. And, you know, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. But what happens at the end of our text here? You know, angels come and they minister to our Lord. They minister to him. They minister to like he's just been through a major satanic attack and they're ministering to his soul i imagine they're probably ministering to his physical needs as well he's just like collapsing into the arms of the angels you know but you know what they were there by the mighty hand of god by god's love by god's tenderness god sees everything that we're going through right now he sees every closed door he sees every unanswered prayer he sees every frustration he sees every broken heart he sees everyone who's lonely right now he sees everyone who um Who's got, who's got needs around the world that they're praying for. And he's ready to move. He's ready to show his love and power. He is ready to stand with us, my friends. And he is asking us as his sons and as his daughters to trust him with our appetites and trust him with our status and trust him with our calling and trust him for all of the things that are on our heart, to trust him with the whole wide world. And when we do, my friend, the mighty hand of God will show us just how powerful he is. And we will see it together. We'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So let's fast and pray together, shall we? We'll pray now and we'll fast on Tuesday in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray. We're not in the season of Lent right now which is typically the season where we, 
we let go of some things that have too strong of a hold over our life. I just wonder if this season, this extraordinary season in the life of our church, the Lord might be putting his finger on something for, for you to, to give to him this summer. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but it has too strong of a hold in your life. And he's asking you to trust him. And really there's, a, there's some submission required there too. Because our strong wills can be most seen in what we're least likely to, to relinquish. If you're willing, go ahead and give that to the Lord now. Commit it to him for the whole summer. Ask him to satisfy you. Lord, it's hard to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, but so good. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Please move in our church. Humble us. And Lord, give us, uh, give us a breakthrough individually and collectively. We need you, Lord. First of all, we just humble ourselves before you because we know that you've got a good plan for us. In Jesus' name, amen.